0: your ministry and music. I appreciate that. Well, if you would at this time, take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter number 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And as you're turning there in your Bible, if you're physically able to do so, would you join me in standing for the reading of God's Word? Mark chapter number 4. And we're going to read verses 30 through 34. And uh, we'll... uh, Continue on with our series, The Serving Savior. Mark chapter number four, verse number 30. <clears throat> the Bible says, And he said, Whereinto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, we're Grateful again to be in your house. Thank you for the uh, wonderful service thus far, for the music, for the children. Um, But now, Lord, as we get into your word, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in a special way, that you would help us to have clear understanding of what uh, what you're teaching here in this passage. Help us, Lord, to see the truth and then to respond to that truth. I pray these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So back in uh, January, at the beginning of January, we announced our church theme for 2021. And the church theme for Cornerstone Baptist Church for the year 2021 is looking unto Jesus. And the idea behind that was, well, it was very clear at that point that we were going to be having a new commander in chief here in the United States of America, and we do have a new commander-in-chief, and her name is... Just kidding. Um, uh, We don't need to get into the politics this morning. That's not what this is all about, Uh, but the idea is that instead of looking to who's in the White House, uh, instead we need to get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, that's where our focus needs to be, and I thought, hey, as we do that, uh, let's take some time to walk through the life of the one who we are to be looking at, the life of Jesus. And so we've been making our way through the gospel of Mark and learning about his life. And, and Mark, his gospel, uh, he really kind of highlights the fact of uh, what Jesus did, his, uh, the things that he did to serve. And the key verse in, 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 in the gospel of Mark is Mark ten forty five, where the Bible says, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life as a ransom for many. And so we've been looking at all the things that Jesus did so far. But when we get to Mark chapter number four, uh, we've been—he—he he spends a, a chapter here. Mark does on more on the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus taught. And so here we have four different parables in the Gospel of, or in Mark chapter number four in this chapter. Uh, we saw the parable of the uh, the sower uh, sowing the seed in the four different types of ground that uh, were there in verses one through twenty, and then in verses twenty one through verse twenty five, we see really the the parable of that of that candle that's brought and put under a bushel or under a bed, uh, but rather it's supposed to be uh, set on a candlestick, and uh, we talked about that a little bit, and then last Sunday we talked about the uh, the the fact that. Uh, the sower goes to sow, and and then the the father makes it grow. Remember that, and and uh, how eventually the fruit will eventually show. And now we come to this one in verse number thirty through verse thirty two here, this parable, and uh, what what this is referring to uh, is the expansion of what uh, of the kingdom of God. In the parable we mentioned last Sunday, uh, dealt with more the uh, how it is to grow, and then. And then this Sunday, today we're learning about how big this is supposed to go. And uh, as Jesus is trying to uh, communicate this thought on how big the kingdom of God is supposed to grow, he searches in his mind. And again, he's all he's all knowing. Um, but but he says in verse number thirty, he says, "Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? And, and uh, with what comparison shall we compare it?" So he's looking for. Something that they would be familiar with, that he could uh, explain how big this kingdom of God was going to, going to expand, and so he he actually turns to a condiment of all things. He turns to mustard, an herb. Now I do want to take a quick poll this morning. How many of you really like mustard? You just you can't get enough of mustard. There's a lot of hands up. Okay. How many of you are like, can't stand mustard at all? Okay. How many of you say, well, it kind of depends on what we're putting mustard on? Okay, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's how I am. Uh, in preparation for this message, I was working on this yesterday morning, and I was like, man, I need, I need me a corn dog <laughs> with some mustard some ketchup, so I went to Sonic yesterday on my way home for lunch, and I had to get me some mustard because I'm 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 starting to get hungry right now thinking about mustard on a corn dog. Uh, man, we need to have a field trip right now to Sonic and continue this service over there. Um, anyway, uh, he he turns to a condiment, and uh, that it's just a strange analogy, but uh, but it's one that really does do very well at explaining how quickly and how much the kingdom of God was going to expand. Um, So uh, today we're going to consider this mighty mustard seed. And and so he uses this little mustard seed and and how mighty it ends up becoming and the eternal truth that Jesus was was teaching here. So uh, let's look here first this, this morning at the sowing of the mustard seed, the sowing of the mustard seed. In verse number 31, he says, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth. So once again, we find Jesus mentioning the principle of sowing. In the four parables that Jesus taught in this chapter, three of them mention and deal with sowing. The first one did, and then the last two do. And so... uh, he mentions, and there's an emphasis on sowing. Last Sunday, we learned that we need to be faithful as believers to sow the truth. Now, ultimately, he was talking about uh, the truth being sown then and how eventually that was going to come and bear much fruit in the kingdom of God. But we can take application in in our own Christian life that we need to be faithful to sow the seed of the word of God. We mentioned a couple reasons why, because uh, there is, the devil is pretty faithful to sow his seeds of wickedness in the hearts and minds of people around us as well, and we need to be faithful to sow. And then uh, once we do, then the Father makes it grow, and then the fruit will eventually show. And we saw that no sow, there's going to be no grow. Now, in this passage, we, hear, we see here twice that Jesus says, when it is sown, not if it is sown. Verse number 31 says, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth. And then in verse 32, it says, but when it is sown. So again, he doesn't say if it is sown. This insinuates that the seed must be sown, which is why he says it is a mustard seed. Get it? Okay, bad joke. That that doesn't even qualify as a dad joke. That, that that that's so bad it's a mom joke. That's how bad it is. So just kidding. Okay. Um, too many groans. I better take this out of the uh, my notes. I'm gonna erase it from my notes forever. Um, but the the seed the seed of the word of God must be sown, right? It has to be. God has promised that the gates of hell would never prevail against the church. I'm thankful for that promise, aren't you? But uh, that promise is for the church as a whole, not necessarily for each individual congregation. So there's no promise that Cornerstone Baptist Church is going to be around forever. Uh, You know as well as I do, perhaps there's churches that you know that have closed their doors and said, you know what, we just can't keep the doors open. We can't afford it. Um, I hope that Cornerstone Baptist Church is around for a long, long time, or at least around until the rapture of the church. That's, that's what my hope and desire is, is that we would stay a church and it would, we would keep the doors open until um, the Lord comes back. But The truth of the matter is, we have seen... Uh, churches go the opposite direction as far as that goes. There's a recent poll that I read a couple months ago that came out announcing for the first time in American history, church membership falls below the majority. I think there's an article there that uh, I got that from. That's from gallup.com. U.S. church membership falls below majority for the first time, and there's a chart Uh, On this article, and it's kind of hard to see. You're probably not going to be able to see it, depending, especially if you're sitting in the back. Um, These are small, small words or uh, letters here. But um, back in 1940, 73 to the 73 percent of the population were members of some type of a church. Now, um, the question is, do you happen to be a member of a church, synagogue, or mosque? So again, it's it's a wide encompassing um, question. 73% of the United States population said, yes, I'm a member back in the 1940s. That number stayed about the same all the way until about 2000. So for 60 years, it was about 70%-ish that uh, was members of a church. But then notice what happened in 2000 to 2020. In the the last two decades, we dropped over 20%. In the last two decades alone, It's crazy. And now for the first time in American history, uh, less than half of our population uh, says that I'm part of any type of religious uh, church. Now again, loosely loosely, uh, interpreted, interpreted there. Somewhere along the line, people stopped sowing the seed of the word of God. Somewhere along the line, they stop planting these seeds in the hearts of children, in the hearts of their community. And uh, here, we're talk- here Jesus says, when it is sown, when it is sown, it- that the seed of the Word of God must be sown. We must continue to sow the seed of the gospel in the hearts of our children. By the way, yes, at, here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, we need to do that. We need to have vacation Bible schools, and I'm thankful we had that. I'm thankful that we have Sunday school and we have our junior church that, and we have our Wednesday night program where they can learn the Word of God. But listen, that's not enough. Moms and dads, it's my responsibility and yours as parents to get the Word of God into the hearts of our children. In Deuteronomy, he doesn't say, hey, it's the church's responsibility. He says, dads, uh, you better be, uh, when you're laying down, when you're rising up, when you're walking by the way, that you are imparting truth into your children's hearts. It's my responsibility and yours as parents. Yes, the church can come alongside and help, but ultimately, moms and dads, it's our responsibility to do so. Uh, What about in our community? Yes, our community needs the Word of God, and who is going to reach them? Well, let's hope that we elect somebody that is a Christian and they put it over the airwaves that they must be born again. Do you think that's really going to happen? That's preposterous. It's not going to happen. Now, maybe if you elect me, I might maybe see if that happens. (laughs) Um, uh, But I guarantee I'm going to probably come into some uh, red tape along those lines. But uh, here's the deal. God didn't put it up to the White House to reach the world. He put it up to those sitting in the church house to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. Uh, He put it on my shoulders and yours, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. And because you're a Christian, uh, we are to reach the world for Christ. We are to sow the seed. And so again, there's an emphasis in Mark chapter 4 on sowing the seed. I had not ever noticed that before until I started uh, studying this. And I was like, wow, three out of four parables, the Lord mentions sowing the seed uh, because it is important. Now, uh, we see the sowing of the seed, but then secondly, notice number two here, the size of the mustard seed. Verse number 31, he says, again, is looking for something in in verse 30. What what should we compare the the kingdom of God to? What what can we compare it to? And then he says in verse 31, hey, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth, and then he says, here's how big it is. It is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. Now, I know some of you are going to go, well, I'm going to Google that and make sure that that's right. Now, technically, there are some seeds that are smaller than a mustard seed. But among herbs... It is, I believe, the smallest of all the seeds. It's a small seed. And to show you how small it is, I have brought you a seed. And so we have some seeds for everybody. Everybody's going to get a mustard seed uh, this morning so that you can see just how small these seeds are. So everybody's going to get a mustard seed. And uh, they are small. Uh, They're in this little thing, and you'll have to look closely to find it but it's there a mustard seed and it's small and he says i want you to as you think about the kingdom of god i'm going to compare it to something small now this is probably not what the disciples expected to hear when jesus is saying i'm going to compare it to something it's like they probably, the first thing on their mind was not a mustard seed. Because they're thinking kingdom. They're thinking large and big and glorious and powerful and strong. And Jesus kind of shatters their bubble, and pops their bubble and says, actually, it's just like this little dinky miniature seed. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's, it, it's not big and powerful and glorious and and uh, influential, it's like a little seed. Now, in this and, and throughout the scriptures, we see that God delights to use things that are small in the world's eyes. I think about later is uh, a young man offers his small little lunch to Jesus and the disciples And how God is able to use that small lunch to feed thousands. Over 5,000 people got to eat lunch that day because of a small lunch that was given to the Lord. I think about Gideon and uh, his small army that God used to defeat the Midianites. Remember, it was the Midianites, by the way, had 135,000 men in their army. And God wanted uh, Gideon to go against them. And and Gideon at that time had 32,000 men. Not very good odds. 32,000 to 135,000. That was a four-to-one ratio. That was not very good. They were the underdogs by a bunch. I mean, imagine going into battle and knowing that there's four guys for every one of ours. That's not very fun. So God says, you know what, though? Honestly, uh, your, your army, Gideon, is still too large for me. I want to make it smaller. So he tells uh, Gideon to tell the, the, the whole army, Hey, anybody who's scared, why don't you go home back to your mommy? And the Bible says 22,000 of them went back home to mommy. You say, well, they weren't being scared. They were just being smart. <laughs> well, Maybe. Um, whatever the case is, that left um, that didn't leave very many people. That left only ten thousand people, ten thousand one hundred thirty-five. We're greatly outnumbered, but God says, "You know what? Still too large for me." Gideon's like, "Excuse me, too large? That's, that's not that's that's not what I think." But uh, God says, "Yeah, still too large." So then he offers them a test about how they drink the water there, and and, uh, 9,700 of them end up being dismissed from the army, leaving only 300 men plus Gideon to face 135,000 Midianites. So now it's not a four-to-one ratio. Now it's a 450-to-one ratio. Talk about severely outnumbered at this point. And yet, we all know the story. God wins the victory because little is much when God is in it. I think about some of the small weapons that were used. Uh, we, uh, th- this wasn't you know uh, an F-16 or an aircraft carrier or a-, a-, a giant tank or anything like that. No, no, these were, uh, these were a slingshot that God was able to use, a small little sling that David was able to use and win a great victory. Samson's jawbone of a donkey was able to win a great victory. A small weapon, small things. God does choose to use those things that are small and despised in this world to accomplish great things. And he says, uh, my kingdom is like a grain of a mustard seed. Later in the Gospel of Mark, we find a poor widow woman who gave a very, very small amount of money to the Lord's work, only two mites, and yet little was much because God was in it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and verse 27, Paul says this, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world that confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world that confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are not. Have God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. So you know why God chooses things that are small? So that he gets the glory. So that he gets the credit. So that we can't go, well, look, so Gideon couldn't go, hey, because we were such a big and strong and powerful army, that's why we won the victory, No, they didn't even even lift a finger to fight. All they did was say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon and and broke a pitcher. It was not exactly uh, great guerrilla warfare that they had to perform in order to win that victory. God got all the glory because it was God that did it all. And um, little is much when God is in it. Remember when I was in Bible college, we... uh, uh, my last year of Bible college, um, we all had a ministry that we had to serve in while we were in, while we were in college, and uh, one of the, min- the ministry that I had was I got to be the 5th um, and 6th grade bus class teacher on Sunday afternoons. So we would have church in the morning, and then we would run a bus route to Palmdale, which was about a 30-minute drive from the church. And then we would bring kids to the church on Sunday afternoon while the rest of the church family is at home resting. The Bible college students got to do this ministry, and and, uh, there was a fifth and sixth grade class that I got to teach. And uh, what was really neat is my wife got to be part of that class, and uh, she was one of my helpers. Oh, yeah. And uh, I enjoyed having her help in that class. But the name of our class, I named our class, and I named it The Faithful Few. And I kept encouraging our, our, our class because it wasn't a huge class. And I said, look, we don't have to be many, but we can be faithful. Um, we don't have to have a lot of numbers, uh, but we can be faithful. And we looked at a lot of different things, a lot of stories in the Word of God where God used the few things to accomplish big things. And, uh, and uh, here we have Jesus giving this Parable here, saying, "Hey, look! I want to use something small, like the grain of a mustard seed, which is less than all the seeds that be in the earth, to accomplish a great thing." Um, one Bible commentator mentioned that uh, when you consider Christianity and how it all began, it was it was very insignificant in its beginning. Uh, its founder assumed a humble form. Uh, Jesus didn't come and and you know. Uh, flying from the sky and landing, and I'm here. I'm the great new leader of Christianity. He could have chosen to do something of that nature to where everybody would have immediately respected him and and, and believed him, but uh, that's not how he came. He came as a little baby in a very obscure little town called Bethlehem. And he wasn't even born in a house. He was born in a manger, in a stable because they didn't even have room for him. And that's how he he came to this earth. And then its first advocates were obscure. The the first followers, they weren't religious leaders. They weren't, um, you know, high and powerful and influential. These were fishermen. These were kind of despised, and and they even had a tax collector be a part of this uh, motley crew and this is how it all started. It was a mustard seed, uh, kind of small, kind of insignificant, so to speak. Its sphere of action was confined. I mean, uh, and then its first converts were few. Its mode of operation was unassuming, and its reception was unpopular. I mean, this this mustard seed that uh, the Lord is kind of planting here uh, it, and and when it comes to the kingdom of God, is, is, is pretty small. But guess what? It doesn't stay small for long. Because notice number three here, the significance of the mustard seed. This little seed that uh, you have now in your hand doesn't stay small forever. Verse 32 says, but when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches. (coughs) Although small, the result is not. This little seed grows up to become the greatest of all the herb trees. These mustard bushes grow to be around 10 feet tall, and some up to 20 feet high and 20 feet wide. I think we have a photo here of one that that little seed develops into this very large plant showing the expansion of the kingdom of god its beginnings were extremely humble and small but one day the kingdom of god is going to develop in something strong and big and mighty I do want to encourage you to never underestimate what God can do with a small seed of the Word of God. I heard about Jacob Kashi, who grew up in Singapore with one driving ambition, to be a success in life, to gain all the money and possessions he could. Well, that led him into the world of drugs and gambling, and eventually he became lord of an international smuggling network. Well, in 1980, he was arrested and placed in a government drug rehabilitation prison in Singapore. And he was frustrated beyond <coughs> endurance. All his goals, purposes, dreams, and ambitions were locked up with him in a tiny cell, and his heart was full of a cold emptiness. He was a smoker, and cigarettes weren't allowed in the center. Instead, he smuggled in some to- tobacco and rolled it in the pages of the Gideon Bible. Last Sunday, I used an illustration about smoking the Bible. Here's another one. Well, one day he fell asleep while smoking. And he awoke to find that <clears throat> the cigarette had burned out, and all that remained was a scrap of charred paper. He unrolled it and read what was written, and it read, Saul, Saul. Why persecutest thou me? Jacob asked for another Bible, and he read the entire story of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter number 9. He suddenly realized that if God could help someone like Saul of Tarsus and save him, God could help and save him too. And so there in his cell, he knelt and prayed, asking Christ to come into his life and to change his heart. He began crying and couldn't stop. The tears of a wasted life washed away his pain, and God redeemed him. He started sharing his story with the other prisoners, and as soon as he was released, he became involved in the church. He met a Christian woman, married her, and is now a missionary in the Far East where he tells people far and wide, who would have believed that I could find the truth by smoking the Word of God? (laughs) Never underestimate the power of a little seed of the Word of God and what it can do. Well, what happened to the seed of truth that was planted by Jesus here in Mark chapter number 4 As he mentions that the he mentions this parable. He says, look, there the, the seed is going to be planted. When it is planted. What ended up happening after that? Yeah, it was small, it was meager. We've talked about that, but but what ended up happening? Well, the early church did have humble beginnings. It only had 120 people in it, which, by the way, as I, as I read that, I think of Cornerstone Baptist Church because that's close to about what we have here on Sundays here at Cornerstone. And Maybe not today because I think people thought that Vacation Bible School meant that they get to go on vacation afterwards. I don't know. But no, there's several people out of town today on vacation, and I'm glad they get to spend some time away. I'm thankful for that. And I'm looking forward to our vacation here in a month or so. Uh, But we do have about 120 people-ish in our church. Well, in Acts chapter number 1 and Acts chapter 2, we find 120 people there. But then on the day of Pentecost, as Peter gets up and preaches, after the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the believers there, on that day of Pentecost, he preaches and 3,000 people are saved and baptized and added to the church. So they go from 120 to now 3,120 All in one day. So the growth is starting to take place and develop. One Bible scholar continues this thought here and explains the expansion of the kingdom of God. He says in three or four centuries later, it had spread so far and wide that Christians were found in Rome, in Asia Minor, Greece, Syria, Russia, Germany... Gaul, Persia, Armenia, Egypt, Arabia, Abyssinia, and indeed in almost every known land in just three centuries. It became so great a tree that persecution could not uproot it, he says, or even injure it. So great that the eyes of three continents looked on it in amazement. So great that the trees of idolatry and superstition had no room for growth. Every obstacle, malice, uh, could throw in its way had been employed. All classes laid their axes to its root. Philosophers brought their satire. Priests their anathemas. Kings their laws, but all in vain. The tree not only resisted every blow, but shattered to atoms every axe which assailed it. Its devotees were nailed to crosses and dying, cried, it must grow. Thousands at the stake exulted as they said, we will burn, but it cannot wither talking about the kingdom of God. See, yes, it was small at its beginning, but it had developed and grown into a mighty mustard tree. One day it's going to really grow. If you turn real quickly with me to Revelation chapter number 15. I'm sorry, Revelation 11, verse 15. Revelation 11 and verse 15. This is kind of the the final stage of growth that takes place in the kingdom of God. It does include the church. It's not just the church, though. Verse 15, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world, here it is, are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of God, oh boy, it started pretty insignificant. Just like this little seed that you have in your hand, it's like tch, this little thing, you barely even see it. But this little seed can give rise to a huge mustard tree. And the, the kingdom of God was pretty insignificant and small there as Jesus was walking with his 12 motley crew disciples. It ended up, and it will end up becoming, the kingdom of the world, which ends up being the Lord's kingdom. It was indeed significant. But I want us to see number four, and lastly this morning, the sanctuary of the mustard seed. Back to Mark chapter 4, let's look in verse 32. <clears throat> but when it is sown, the seed, it groweth up, becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, and here it is, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. If you decide to do your own study on this passage, and I would invite you and implore you to do your own study and dive a little deeper into this. Um, some commentators believe that the birds here are, referenced, are referencing those birds in the first parable that come and steal the word of God. You remember that? In verse number uh, 15, it says, And these are they by the wayside when the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And that's a uh, an explanation of the fact that birds come and steal. That could be the case. And again, I don't want to argue with some of these men who are much smarter than I am. Um, I I do not want to claim that I know more than they do. It's just I, I don't know that that's what, jesus is trying to say here I, I actually take it the other way to mean that this is a place that is a sanctuary for these birds to find a resting place the word here lodge um i look the word lodge up and of course you know i've stayed at hotels and lodges before the word lodge means camp down it means to remain to rest and these birds, these fowls of the air, this, this becomes so big that it's a place where then these birds can come and, and find, a, find rest and find a, a place to camp down, to, to remain. As I think about the kingdom of God, I, that, that is what the kingdom of God is meant for. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sanctuary. It's a place for us to come and find rest for our souls. It's a place for the widow who is grieving over the loss of a husband. It's for her to find rest. It's it's for the one who's dealing with health issues that can find rest and solace as they're going through the difficult struggle with with their health. The one who's been overcome by an addiction, where can they go find rest? Well, the kingdom of God. What about the divorced man? Well, yeah, he can go to the kingdom of God and find rest for his soul. What about the teenager who's trying to find their identity? They can find rest for their soul in the kingdom of God. The single mom trying to find strength for another week, they can find rest in the kingdom of God. The businessman trying to get another promotion, the parent struggling with the child, uh, all of us can find rest in a relationship with the Lord in the kingdom of God. Look, everyone in this world has a need in their life. Every one of us. A need for true rest, for satisfaction. The problem is most people try to find it in everything under the sun except for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They try to find it in pleasure, power, possessions. It's a lot like um, I have here, I have here a, a children's toy, vacation Bible school week, so it's time to. Get my inner child on. You've all seen one of these toys. It's a shape game where you try to get these certain shapes inside the, the right hole. And let's just take, for instance, here, uh, I've, got, uh, I've got the heart hole here. And everybody, everybody in this world has a need for God an emptiness that needs to be filled, a need for real spiritual rest. The thing is, is they, they, try to, they try to jam everything else into that hole, but it does not fit, right? They take possessions. If I just had more toys and more money, then, then, I'll, then I'll be happy. And so they try to force that into that hole, but it does not fit. Well, let's see, uh, uh, maybe, uh, maybe more pleasure. Maybe another illicit relationship or maybe another inappropriate website. I go and push that in there, and that's not going to satisfy. Well, what about uh, more relationships? I just need more friends in my life, more popularity, and I want more people to like me. And if I do that, then I'll start feeling the real rest that, that, I, that I so desperately crave and need in my life. And they try to fit that in there, but it does not fit. they try everything under the sun, and it's not going to fit until they go and realize that Jesus says, Hey, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And they come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and guess what? fits like it's supposed to i wonder if you're here this morning and you've been trying to force something else into that god-shaped hole i'm telling you it's not going to fit you can take a hammer you can get a sledgehammer out here and say come on get in there you're gonna end up messing your life up why don't you just come to the lord jesus christ And let him fill the need that you have in your heart. Let him be your sanctuary. Let him be the place that you find rest for your soul. Because there is no other real rest out there. Uh, Perhaps you've seen the bumper sticker, No Jesus, No Peace. No Jesus, No Peace. The first word is K N O W. You, if you know Jesus, you're going to K-N-O-W, peace. But if there's no Jesus, guess what? There's going to be no peace in your life. You try to find it in a lot of different ways. Just ask the woman at the well. She tried to find it in five different relationships, maybe six different or five different relationships. She wasn't finding it in any of those. She kept thirsting. Jesus says, well, whoso drinketh of the water of life shall never thirst again. And here Jesus is talking about these fowls of the air may lodge and find rest under the shadow of it. There is only one place of rest, and that is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Isaiah 57 and verse 20 tells us the opposite. The wicked... Deals with the opposite. The wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Uh, maybe if I just do more sin, then I'll start feeling better about myself. No, there's no peace to the wicked. I like what I like what he says. The wicked are like the troubled sea. This morning I was walking around a, a park here in Moore, and there's a. There's a pretty big pond there, and, and uh, it's not usually like this because there's usually a lot of ducks in there, but, uh, but today it was like a glass sea. It was so peaceful and calm, and it was like a mirror. You, you know how it reflects the trees and stuff around it? It was doing that. It was beautiful. Well, well, the wicked are not like that. They're just constantly searching for peace. They can't pillow their head at night. Look, there's only one way of peace, and that's through Jesus Christ, through the Prince of Peace. This verse here in uh, Mark four thirty-two, talking about the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it, reminds me of Psalm 91 and verse number 1, where it talks about, the psalmist said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When you come to Him, you can be safe and secure and have safety and rest knowing that He is going to be your shelter. So this is a tremendous sanctuary, this mustard seed. This kingdom of God is developed into a sanctuary for all of us. But are you you utilizing that sanctuary? Or are you trying to force something else into that God-shaped hole? in your life. Lessons from the mighty mustard seed. This kingdom of God started really small, but now here we are at Cornerstone Baptist Church in 2021, 2,000 years-ish after uh, Jesus said this. I'm thankful that it has grown into a big mustard seed mustard plant tree that has now given shelter and a place for lodging for souls i'm thankful that i found a lodging place here in the kingdom of god when i was 12 when i was uh, 12 years old what about you what about you let's pray together lord we thank you for the mighty mustard seed small insignificant But Lord, it doesn't stay that way if it is sown in the earth. And Lord, we're thankful that the the kingdom of God started small. Lord, we're thankful that it did not stay small, but that it is expanding. And one day it will be an everlasting kingdom. Father, I pray that uh, if there's one here today that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, never place their faith in you, and have been trying to fill their void, fill their need for rest, for peace, with everything else this world has to offer, I pray, Lord, they would put all those things aside. Lord, come to Christ to be saved. We thank you for the sanctuary that the kingdom of God does provide for those of us who are willing to trust you. And Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to also sow the seed of the gospel, those around us. Help us to be faithful, Lord, in our own homes, to sow the seed of the truth to our children. And then, Lord, as Christians, help us in our community. Lord, to not look to others to do it, but Lord, to rise rise up and and to be the ones who are willing to uh, sow the seed of the gospel in our community. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Miss Pat to play through on this first verse of this song. And as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer right there in your seat, a time of decision, if you would. And uh, as the Lord has perhaps spoken to you uh, this morning, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer this morning before we're dismissed. song she's playing is search me oh god cleanse me uh, let's go ahead and sing that that song together before we're dismissed search me oh god it's a prayer the lord would uh, search our hearts and uh, make us right with him so let's sing this together the words are on the screen search me O god and know my you and make you right with him well if you're here today and and you say you know pastor I the truth is I'm not really sure I'm a Christian I don't know that um, I've ever been saved I've been born again I I don't really know if I've ever had that happen to me or done that Um, I would invite you on your way out my wife and I'll be standing at the back to just mention that to me and um, you know let me know about that and we can take the Bible and show you from God's Word on how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with God. Uh, And it's not going to be my word, Cornerstone Baptist Church's word, although we all believe it here. Um, We're going to look at God's word on how to know for sure you have a relationship with Him, your sins are forgiven, and that uh, you're trusting in Him and Him alone. And we'd be glad to set up a time to do that either today or tomorrow or sometime this week. Um, We'd love to do that. Um, That is the most important decision of your life. And then I want to encourage all of